Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Indeed. This week, The Borrowers by Mary Norton. Deep, 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 deep sound of tiny footsteps. Uh, this was a listener request from many different listeners. All of you who request it, thank you so very much. It's yeah. a book that is beloved to us as well, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to cover it. If you'd like to make a request, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. And before I forget, I want to shout out um, the way that I listened to this book, which is... Okay, so there's a YouTube channel uh, called the Fairlawn Library Children's Room. It has 65 subscribers, so mash that subscribe button, people. I think it's new. I looked at it, and I think it's born of quarantine. I think it is, because all of the videos are brand new. Um, Really, really great. Check it out, honestly. Um, They have some other books, and they're putting new videos on, uh, like, daily, so... Cool. Um, check it out. Support your not Random local library, library YouTube channel. <laughs> Support all libraries. We'll get yeah. out of blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This book was published in 1952. Before we dive on in, we will discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. We don't have a copy of this book any longer. I believe we used to take it out from the library, from a different children's library when we were oh. young. Or maybe it was one of those that we stole from like our English teacher. I don't know, because I don't, I haven't seen a copy among our boxes of books. Well, maybe we finally gave it back. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I never gave any of those books back. But the copy that we would take out was, it had the original cover. Um, so this book, like I mentioned, was published in 1952. There was a reissue, um, which I also took out from the library sometimes, that was a scholastic edition that I think probably came out in like the 90s um, that has a brighter watercolor cover. Yeah. Um, but the original cover is created by the same illustrators that did all of the art within the book, Beth and Joe Krush, oh. a husband and wife illustrator team. Yeah. Would you like to tell us more about the cover? I would. And I'm looking again at the pictures right now, too. The illustrations in this book are wonderful. Yeah, they're so, so good. Um, So the uh, cover, and I don't remember which version I read. Um, I actually probably think it was the newer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like the 90s one, because that cover looks familiar to me. I think we took out different versions at different times. Okay. Um, So the first one we've got in very like Victorian dress Mm -hmm. um, Homily, Pod, and Arietti. And they're sitting among their possessions, like a matchbox and a watch and a thimble and a pin. Um, Got a big old pencil. Um, and, uh, Ariadne looks quite cheerful. Pod looks jovial as well. He's quite plump and he's wearing an eggplant colored suit <laughs> with a yellow waistcoat. Very fashionable. <laughs> and a brown bowler hat. And he has his borrowing bag. He has a sack for borrowing and Homily looks concerned, um, but she's got on a lovely yellow, uh, with red polka dot Victorian dress and a, a ruffled, um, I don't know what you would call this part that's like under your neck and before the your boobs. Decolletage. Yeah. <laughs> the decolletage. Yeah. The decolletage. And uh, the, it's, it's a very charming cover. I like it a lot, actually. 
um, the colors are really saturated in yeah. an appealing way. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of the cover of a Raw Doll book, mm-hmm. um, like the older versions that we had when we were kids. By Quentin Blake. Yeah, and honestly, I, th- I think it does a really good job. Like, looking at that, it makes me be like, oh, what? This looks so charming. I love seeing all the t- all the tiny people with big objects. Yeah. It's yeah. intriguing. There's a potato in the background. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Part of a potato that disappears behind Homily. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I think I like it more than the more recent one. Um, because that's depicting a really stressful moment. Yeah. It's depicting when the boy... Uh, prize up the floorboards to look at them, which is the start of like them relocating. Uh, and Homily's in bed. Pod has sprung out of bed. Um, there's a safety pin on their bedside table and they've got the little postage stamp on the wall. And Arietti is like peering into the room concernedly. Um, and it looks, it looks scary. Like it's so stressful and scary when their house gets all like destroyed. Yeah. When these fumbling hands are just tearing everything apart that yeah. they work so hard to build. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I don't like this cover. <laughs> In conclusion, we will put both covers on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. So you can take a gander and experience your own twinges of nostalgia. And let us know if you had fear. a different and fear. And let us know if you had a different edition. We love seeing different cover variations. Yeah, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. Um, if you somehow don't know the story of the borrowers, go revisit it and then come on back. There's a Studio Ghibli movie too called inexplicably The Secret World of Arietti. There are a lot of movies about the borrowers. That's true. There's um, a lot of movies besides that one, which we will we can touch on later. But first. The plot. The main character is Arietti, who is a borrower, which means that she is of a people that are four inches tall. Lilliputian. Um, and they live off of the crumbs and remnants left behind by human beings, as they call them, yeah. and live in close proximity to them, but live in secret and do their best to not be seen while they're quote-unquote, borrowing the things that they need to survive. And they consider it borrowing because none of the stuff ever leaves the house. (laughs) It's true. And they also have a kind of view of humans as existing to benefit them. So they kind of think of them almost as like their livestock. And so they take what the humans have and that's what they've like earned. Mm -hmm. It's a little confusing. Um, And the worldview breaks down pretty quickly when Arietti is talking to a human boy for the first time. Um, but she and her family are the only borrowers left in a grand English mansion. There used to be more families, but for one reason and another or another, they had to leave. The house is inhabited by an elderly woman, her cook slash maid and a gardener who lives out back. And also a boy who comes to stay there for a summer. Are you with me? I am. I was just looking up the elements of larceny for Madeline's Law Corner to determine whether or not they are, in fact, borrowing. We have that to look forward to. (laughs) Um, 
so the bar, I'm totally off track. <laughs> now. Madeline's brandishing a really tedious looking web page <laughs> at me from her phone. So Arietti has been raised to believe all of those pieces of her little society, but she's also totally alone. It's just her yeah. and her parents and her relatives and the other old borrowers that inhabited the house are all gone. And so she lives a pretty restricted life. She has never gone outside of the tunnels under the floorboards in the kitchen mm-hmm. where she and her family live. Kind of horrifying. It's upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she has a little grate that she can look through to see the sky. <laughs> that's, she taught herself to read. She taught herself to read using miniature books um, that, you know, are novelty books. We had some of those. Mm-hmm, we did. But I'll tell you, because I checked, because I had the originals and the tiny ones, uh, that what they do in the tiny ones is just like remove every fourth page. So I it's know, actually you can't read them. not possible to read them because <laughs> otherwise it would be like way too thick and exactly. the proportions would yeah, be off. Yeah, it would off. be like 10 inches yeah, tall and it wouldn't look like a cute book. You can't make the type small enough. I know. That always drove me wild as well. I did have a couple of like, quote unquote, pocket dictionaries that mm-hmm. were... Those were real. Yeah, they were real, but they were, they're they like, they only have like a hundred words right. in them that they oh, define. The best words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Ariadne has, you know, some things that she enjoys. She writes in her diary she reads her books, but... Other than that, she likes looking at the cigar boxes that make up her bedroom ceiling um, that depict a beach and some angels in the sky, and that's kind of it. And one day, her father, Pod, is out borrowing, and he's seen by a boy. A boy that they didn't... Peeped by a boy! Peeped by a boy. And they didn't know that the boy was there because he is a relative who has come to stay at the house. Otherwise, they keep really good tabs on the human's movements because it's Mm -hmm. important for them being alive. Yep. And there are family stories of relatives who came to unfortunate ends. The main one is their cousin... Eglatine, which is the best name I've ever heard, um, who was seen and then, or no, she wasn't seen, but her uncle was seen. And then soon after the family got a cat cat and Eglatine disappeared. Um, Grim stuff. Yeah. This book is very like grim in that offhand Victorian way where suddenly it's just like, oh, yes, this horrible, (laughs) horrible thing happened. But stiff upper lip. Yeah. (laughs) Press on. Um. So one day, Pod is seen by the boy, and he and Homily are deciding what to do going forward, and they decide that they actually want to take Arietti to teach her how to start borrowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this begins a new phase of her life where she is able to leave the family rooms under the floorboards. But the first time that Pod takes her out, they go outside and she's playing around in the grass with some primroses. And I mean, Pod is not paying very much attention to her. I feel like there could have been for more oversight. Concern, <laughs> for all the concern, he's remarkably lax about being like, yeah, just go yeah, in the just garden. Just go over there and we'll do my thing. You've never been outside, but yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. And Arietti runs smack dab into the aforementioned boy. Who they knew was around. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know how these little people have survived this long, honestly. I don't know. Um, and the two of them have a conversation. The boy kind of turns Arietti's worldview on its head because he says that there are actually humans everywhere and there aren't that many borrowers. Yeah. As opposed to the vice versa. But what would he know about there being borrowers anyways? Because they're hiding. They're hiding. That's yeah. true. Um, but they basically strike up a deal in which the boy says that if she writes a letter to her uncle who supposedly moved away to a badger's den a few fields over, then he'll deliver it. So they uh, kind of strike up a kinship. Um, and even though Arietti, she doesn't tell her parents about meeting the boy or having this relationship with him she continues to communicate with him and Mm -hmm. sneak out to see him when possible when she's found out her parents are at first very upset but then the boy comes and rips the floorboards off (laughs) to peek at them and starts giving them wonderful gifts from Mm -hmm. the dollhouse and the old nursery and other odds and ends that are helpful for them. And they become very wealthy and fancy. Mm -hmm. Things seem to be taking a turn, but they fly a little too close to the sun. And the cook, Mrs. What is her name? Driver. Driver. Yeah, she's atrocious. The cook slash maid, housekeeper. Slash horrible person. Slash baddie. Mrs. Driver notices. I mean, she's she's like a horrible sadist. Like she forces boy to like watch his friends die. Like I, I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> she's not good. She discovers that things are missing from the glass cupboard in the drawing room, and then starts thinking about all the other things that have gone missing lately. And the boy has been giving way too much over to Arietti and her family, the clocks, as they're called, because they live yeah. beneath the clock. So she catches the boy in the act. She discovers them in the floorboards, freaks out, says she's going to get a rat catcher and a cat and the police. (laughs) Anyone else who could possibly do anything. The police. So the, yeah, an exterminator. Um, So at the same time, she uh, locks the boy up in his room so that he can't help the borrowers or get them out. And a few days later, she gets a cab to take him away and go back to India. <laughs> no, I'm not totally sure what's so, going on. No, with this is totally one of these. I mean, they were written all throughout the late 1800s, early 1900s stories about the son of colonizers who or the daughter or just the children, the family of people who go to India or somewhere in Africa and it's like very exotic for them and they're Mm -hmm. like plundering. I won't editorialize, but that's what's happening here. Yes. (laughs) I just meant that at this point, I I wasn't sure if he was going back um, just to the city and like back to London. I figure that um, his parents are quote unquote he's been archaeologists sick. or some crap like that. Yeah, he's been sick. So he was out in the countryside to regain his strength. I wish someone would send me away to the countryside to regain my strength. I could use a few months of good sleep. <laughs> I don't think we're wealthy enough to <laughs> be able to do something like that. Certainly not. But that fateful day, right before the cab arrives, he manages to wrest himself away from Mrs. Driver, who's excitedly watching the ferrets enter the holes in the house to try to kill the little people. She has issues. She's weird. Um, 
he manages to break the grate off of the wall of the house so that they'll be able to escape and they won't be poisoned by the exterminator. Or eaten by ferrets. And that's the end. Um, There's actually a really great framing device that I haven't mentioned yet, but it's that the sister of the boy from the story is telling this story to a little girl named Kate. And at the end of the story, the woman says, well, that's all he told me. And he didn't see them again that summer. He left, he went home. And then he eventually died in a war. (laughs) And he died. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but I went back the next year and I tried to find them in the badger's den where in the field where they were said to move Mm. and I left them some supplies and they were gone the next day so I think they're still there and then she's basically like and now you can figure out what happens to them next so there's a really really fun encouraging make your own story element to this that was super cool and there are no other books right there are five there are five (laughs) retracted (laughs) That makes more sense because I felt like this was like not an end. Mm -hmm. They actually live in a boot in the second book and it's like very wet and miserable. I read read them all. I loved, loved these I'll look for the other ones then. I'd love to. to, Maybe they'll read them at my favorite new library. (laughs) Seriously, she's awesome. I don't want to share her name because that. Madeline's favorite YouTube channel. But seriously, look it up. Um. And uh, yeah, check it out. It's the I think it's the only complete um, the borrowers audiobook that you can get for free in the United States or anywhere. Like you can see on Audible and uh, on other like audiobook.com and stuff that you could listen to it if you lived in Australia or in Europe, mm-hmm. but in the United States, this title is not available. And I don't really understand why licensing laws work that way. Um, but it's dumb and, if anyone who has any power uh, is listening to this right now, please let me listen to my children's <laughs> fantasy. I mean, an audiobook of The Green Man was released the same week we covered it. So who knows? Yeah, maybe we have the power. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I wish. So, old and new impressions. Yes. I did read this book. Yay! Grace, Grace always peers at me across the table like, did you read this book when she was young? Um, would, you, would you like to lead off then? I was just so busy rereading all of my, like, America diaries for the hundredth time. <laughs> I saw a really interesting thread on Twitter the other day um, that was... It was like, what book were you completely obsessed with as a child? Like, what did you spend all summer doing? Yeah. And I immediately realized that the person who wrote it and hence their audience was quite a bit younger than us because (laughs) the stuff that they were talking about, I had never seen before. But someone just put up a picture of all the spines of all the Dear America (gasps) diaries and then all of the royal diaries. And I was like, whoa, because those books felt so special because of the way that they were bound. Yeah. Well, and the royal ones have like gold Gold filigree. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah. Um, Anyway, about the borrowers. (laughs) Yes. 
So I, I know I read this book, but I don't, it's kind of lost in the mists of time of my memory. So I don't remember much about it other than um, really not liking the ending because it felt way too vague and uh, open to like potential misinterpretation. And when I was younger, like, okay, so when did when did we get AOL.com and that computer that was like the family computer and we got our own like AOL screen names and we could actually go on the internet? Yeah. So that wasn't until after we moved. So, so it was at least eight. It was um, 2000. Before that point, there was just a computer in mom's room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Ooh. And we didn't have AOL yet. Right. And so there was no browser, you know, we would just play games. And the the reason that I bring this up is because sometimes I still forget, and I'm sure that the older you are, the more difficult this is, that all of the information I could ever desire is available to me with like typing one sentence into a search bar and then going to look. Because you've had that pretty much your entire adult or not adult but like thinking life yeah conscious life I should say one thing that I didn't apply it to when I was young and possibly because it was before the internet is looking up to see if there were other books yeah we've talked about this before yeah if there wasn't something immediately available at the library and what I would often do is like pour over and even write down the list of like other books by the author that would be at the back yeah you could look and see but then if they didn't have it at the library it's Okay, well, what what are you gonna do? Or yeah, mom would take us to um, the bookstore. Crown Books oh. at that point was where we went. Yeah, um, and then later we went to the Big Borders, and yes. there I would look and be like, "Is there more?" Both of which are now lost to the ages. Crown and Borders, rough. Um, but anyways, so I didn't know that there were more books, as you probably realized from me saying to Grace a couple minutes ago, "This is the only book, right?" <laughs> um, so. It, I I think that that would have helped because I would have loved to read the other ones because I definitely didn't read any except for this one. And I might have even like had this one read to me at school. It felt I think that's part of the reason. I mean, it's a really, really good reading by the woman who does it at the library on Mm -hmm. YouTube. Um, But I, I it felt very familiar and nostalgic. And I kind of wonder if it was read aloud to me as a child as well. Um, But I love little things I love like little tiny like little dioramas and like little doll houses and like little little tiny furniture little fake bowls of fruit I wish <laughs> I wish that all of you could see the flames of passion <laughs> erupting in Madeline's eyes right now I still as an adult have a ton of tchotchkes in my home and my partner, Nick, is very patient with me and like me just like sprinkling them all around the home, including like on the shelf next to his bedside table. I have a little memorial to our cat, including like this tiny little ceramic that I got done of That's him. Really cute. Yeah. Um, and a painting that Grace did of two of my pets. Um, and books like this, quite possibly this book were definitely the impetus for starting that because it's so 
it's just so magical. Like we used to take shoe boxes and like make little furniture out of clay and stuff. And we had doll houses, of course. Like we had a Do lot. Do you remember the wine box, the wooden yes, wine box? That's exactly what I'm yeah. thinking of. Yeah. Um, and like mom would give us crafting supplies so we could like make little furniture and, you know, stuff. And then American Girl doll also had this series of littles. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called, and it wasn't a thing for that long. No, it must not because have, they were super expensive. It was super expensive, and like I don't think the audience was really there. Well, because they didn't come with dolls; they were just for creating a little. It was much more of an adult pursuit. Yes, because it was it more was. about like decorating and having everything just so, yeah. and much less about like playing in it. We like used a to, I mean, we used to spend hours looking at that catalog. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> just staring. Or just, you know, those like four pages in the American Girl doll catalog. We were we were raised like privileged kids. I, I acknowledge that. But for some reason, like we had all the toys in the world and instead of playing with them, sometimes we would like... We would just look at catalogs. Stare at the catalog yeah. and like pretend we were in that... <laughs> reality yeah or we'd like get a cardboard box and pretend it was a computer and someone would sit inside of it and be the computer yeah. like yeah so you can't tell a kid's brain what to do it right. just does mm-hmm. its thing yeah exactly anyways that's my old impression <laughs> <laughs> um and my new impression is that this book gets pretty brutal yeah. Um, super stressful and super sad. I, especially in the times that we're having right now, uh, I think a lot of people feel this way that it's really important to me to maintain the integrity of my home because mm-hmm. uh, I'm spending all my time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm already, I'm an introvert, but with like the. Is anyone surprised? Yeah, right. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but. It, it's just, I have to have my nest be, everything has to be just so and perfect right now. Um, like I've been vacuuming way more. I've been tidying way more just because like I need to have my hobbit hole be very comfortable right now. And I found the part where um, Mrs. Driver was ripping all of their stuff up and like you know, everything was dividing it into the pile of trash versus the pile of things she found valuable when like, those are all their possessions and for them possessions are like their mode of being. Yeah. So I found that to be unspeakably horrible. Um, and in, in a way that I can like put to words much more than I was, Mm -hmm. than when I was a little kid. But I just remember very firmly being like, you know, they weren't, they they weren't using this stuff. Like it's okay to let the borrowers have it because it wasn't no one was missing it. Redistribute wealth to those who need it. Agree. That's all. I'm done. Yeah, this book is at both at once both like very capitalism driven, but then also Because they love possessions, but it is also but then like it's also has distribution yeah. driven. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. It's yeah. a weird book it's a very strange book and I love yeah. it I loved yeah. loved rereading it um so for my old impressions I was also obsessed with small things but more specifically I loved fantasy books that were about small creatures living alongside humans and being like anthropomorphized mm-hmm. and generally like 
trying to battle it out with the big dumb humans. Yeah. Um, So this series, um, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, Beverly Cleary's Ralph S. Mouse books, um, The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. Um, They all share a lot of similarities in that there are these like adorable, sweet little homes that they've made for themselves, but then they're constantly under threat by People, cats, hawks, <laughs> you know, a variety of evil creatures. Yeah. And the sanctity of the spaces that they make is always like teetering on the edge. You know, yeah. there's always a chance that it's going to be completely destroyed and that someone's going to be killed. Like there's a lot of threat of death in these types of books. It's, <laughs> it's very looking, survival oriented. It is. And like looking back on it now, I wonder what... <laughs> says about where I was at mentally at the time um but I did I was very attached to my things as a kid Mm -hmm. and um like we would get tornado sirens sometimes we never actually experienced tornado because we were like in the Chicago suburbs where there aren't tornadoes like we were too close to the lake there were some but they were but there there was never like a distract not like you get like out in the country where like it touches down and destroys a neighborhood yeah yeah i mean we lived um north of like the part of illinois where there would be worse tornadoes yeah exactly um like just out of tornado alley which is a thing and that is real in life and also in my nightmares. Well, we don't live there anymore. So. I, I was really afraid of tornadoes. Now we get up. to worry about earthquakes and tsunamis, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so if there was a tornado siren, I would flip out and like drag as many of my stuffed animals and toys as I could down into the basement and just stay there for hours. <laughs> like I would refuse to leave. Um, because I didn't want my stuff to get blown away. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like a perfect allegory for this. Yeah. <laughs> the story, the yeah. waiting for the human tornado to come. Um, and what I was going to say is this book instilled such a healthy dose of like, creeping around corners and looking Mm. up under tables and like spending hours staring at little holes in the floor you know not just in me but in generations of children and we we lived in a part of it was a very old farmhouse so there were little holes that we could like Mm -hmm. poke stuff in and you know look around in the cracks and stuff we we made good use of yeah (laughs) um i also also the book and then series the indian in the cupboard was kind of similar but those books are really racist and i don't recommend anyone i have not revisited them them since my childhood i bet they're a nightmare (laughs) yeah um but i'm just i'm yeah not recommending them i'm just talking about the concept of like small figurines small people coming to life creeping around the corners living along the edges of your own reality that makes sense and outsmarting all those big silly humans um so yeah i i loved this series very much it reminded me um it 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 has such a like comforting vibe too because of this like kind of victorian era british children's story like Mm -hmm. i read a lot of those it reminds me of the mary poppins books which i was also obsessed with we just did one oversee understone that kind of feel yeah yeah Mm -hmm. exactly Um, and it just feels like a big warm hug, but the thing is I 
reading it today, pick up way more on all the disturbing undercurrents that are present in this book, which Mm -hmm. Madeline mentioned, um, because of the fear of their home being taken away from them at any moment, their lives being taken away from them at any moment. And then there was also the piece that really bothered me that, Arietti was being basically imprisoned and yeah. raised in a totally isolated she go anywhere. bubble, like yeah. outside of even her own society, mm-hmm. because there are these other borrowers, but the house is so fraught <laughs> that they couldn't stay. And because the owner of the house, I think the, the elderly woman is the owner mm-hmm. because she's older. Everyone else has left and the house isn't being used anymore. So yeah. there was There's like this, less to go around. There was an entire economy throughout the entire house where the different groups of borrowers would be named for where they lived. And then they'd have different like personality traits and also mm-hmm. different like, um, you know, social structures in place, depending on what happened in that room. Mm -hmm. And everyone had to leave and only the clocks who live under the clock right next to the kitchen. The kitchen, yeah. So they were able to stay because there they can get hot and cold water, they can get crumbs of food and just generally be safe and preserved. Um, But so I get that like they are just doing what they need to do to survive. But at the same time, it means that Arietti is not only being totally isolated, like she has no socialization at all. She's no never even friends, like spent time no. with another child. She talked to the point that she doesn't even she doesn't even know what a boy is. Yeah. Yeah. Her parents can't read or write. She teaches herself how. She's like doing everything she can to create some sort of like culture for herself. Yeah. But it's so sad to witness. Yeah. And it's really dark that her parents give her like a flawed worldview and tell her that, you know, it's like very solipsistic. It's basically like everything revolves around us Mm -hmm. and they're providing for us. And like borrowers are thriving. We're everywhere. The humans are dying out. Yeah. which is all false. And I give Arietti a lot of credit for her brain not exploding after that first conversation yeah. with the human boy where he's Some just like, culture shock. no, everything you think is, is wrong. Yeah. Um, and she has a really understandable anger toward her parents, which I also relate to because homily thinks she's doing what's right for them, but she's actually acting and like, really misguided ways. And every time I just found myself reading this as an adult, Hmm. which didn't happen as a kid, as a kid, I was like, yeah, of course you want to stay in the house. Like it's nice and cozy and you can have cute stuff and like good food. But every time homily was like, what are they doing in the field? What, what are they going to eat? Like seeds, nuts, water from streams. Like how are they going to wash themselves? I was just like, Actually, they're building a society that is more sustainable and that makes sense. I found the classism very interesting yeah. and very complicated. Exactly. And Especially because there was definitely there. Like there were already different so. classes within the mansion. And then Homily is like trying to hold on to this foregone way of life. And mm-hmm. I felt like it was kind of a commentary on like fading British aristocracy. Mm. Because I well, I did a little research and this is a little I'm not saying I'm like ready to Grace dive in is deep. now a scholar PhD level on the fading I don't British know why aristocracy. I, had to, <laughs> I 
to <laughs> clarify that. But. So uh, send her your emails. Mary Norton started writing during World War II because mm. her husband was in, was a naval officer and they were stationed in the United States for a little while during the war and to try to help her kids have some like joy um, or semblance of comfort, she started telling them stories. Okay. Um, and those works would go on to become... Not only the Borrowers series, but she also wrote Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which is the Mm. source material for. So it was two books that were combined to become Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which was like one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, What's the dude's name that was in that? I I don't know. He's the husband and dad in Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um, I always thought that he was John Cleese when I was little. Because I was bad at That's differentiating funny, like he's different like wide where John Cleese is tall and thin. I was really bad at like they have some facial similarities. Facial some. understanding when I was little. And yeah. especially for some reason, like white British dudes were hard for me to differentiate. But it's like a, a lot of them were and they have costumes on. The yeah, way. exactly. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Um, Angela Langsbury is who I was I know more her. excited about yeah. in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yeah, I know who she is. Um, she always reminded me of Anna a little bit. Oh, she's, I love Angela Langsbury so much. Yeah. Um, and Bedknobs and Broomsticks, if you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. I mean, I haven't watched it a really long time. Yeah. Hopefully there's not like horrible. That's one where there's like the skeletons at the end, right? They bring the skeletons yes. to life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an older Disney movie. Um, It's in my mind a classic, but I feel like it's not talked about much these days, but it was one of their really early versions of cartoon being mixed with live action. And it's, it's beloved, beloved in its its own way. I think it's great. It's about a witch and two kids and like a grumpy man who go (laughs) on a journey through time and space together on a bed. Is that the one where Portobello Road? Yes. Portobello. Yes, I love that song. Streets where the riches of ages are sold. Singing. (laughs) Singing, singing, singing. That's enough. (laughs) That's enough. Speech, Bilbo. Um, Anyway. Okay, everyone, there's... There's an Easter egg hunt taking place in, in the, the courtyard. courtyard of my building. We saw mom hiding eggs earlier when we were getting ready to record. And now the little girl is and out they're there. they're blowing bubbles. They're blowing bubbles. And she has a sparkly Easter dress on. Like they also have more people than they should have gathered during this time. But whatever. Shame. Let's open the window and just be like, go home. It's, <laughs> it's a global pandemic. We can be like the two old men from Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this. My office is perfectly situated. You're trying to, become, to kill us all. <laughs> to oh, ho, 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 ho. Statler and Walt. Yes. <laughs> okay. So many asides today. I'm sorry about this. Anyway, okay, I was talking about my theory of, yeah, the fading British aristocracy. And I feel like that was informed by these outside perspectives and like them traveling and not having a safe, comfortable home and space to be in. And the house that the borrowers takes place in is inspired by the house that Mary Norton grew up in, which was an old Georgian mansion um, that was in Bedfordshire, England. Um, So I feel like there's also that love and specificity of like 
the way the house is laid out and like the really deep understanding that, I mean, Madeline and I have already been alluding to from our own childhood of like knowing every hole and like weird crevice and fully exploring it and like filling it with your imagination when you're young. And with stuff that sometimes unfortunately plugs up the holes because you're being a little too zealous. Yep, we had a hole we used to pass messages through and then we kind of got all clogged up. Yeah. (laughs) With messages. I hope that someone pulls them out someday. One day. It's probably just like blue blue blah blah with like weird little pictures. Like secret agents. Bah bah bah. Sure, it's not anything special, but yeah, it was very. Fun it will be very us. obvious that it was from children. <laughs> um. So, anyway, I really felt the presence of that constant threat of them of the parasitic life yeah, that they their, that they li- have to it's live. Just like parasite. Oh my gosh! It literally is. Oh my gosh! Plot. Wait, is I don't parasite? Want to spoil anything, but. If you have seen Parasite, there are a lot of similarities. Is Parasite a remake of The Borrowers? Oh my gosh. The Korean remake. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I feel like that's how they were able to do like a similar exploration exploration of class too. In The Borrowers I'm talking about. And in Parasite. And in Parasite. Yeah. Wow, guys. Real upstairs, downstairs situation going on. We're just blowing this whole thing wide open. <laughs> and in the bars, we not only have the aristocracy, the people that are living in the house, but then there's the hired help living in the house. And then there are the borrowers who yeah. are on their own level and at the same time trying to tell their daughter that they are in the upper crust and thinking about... Uh, what that means for each class. And then also Homily is like such a tragic character because she is stuck in the mental place of trying to be a noble person, a noble woman, a lady. But at the same time, she is like scrubbing out acorns to make dinner for them living in a dirty hole under floorboards. So there's just such a weird like mental cognitive dissonance there. And that's why she refuses to go to the field. And that's why it's really interesting to see how her character changes in the subsequent books when like they do live outside for a while and not in a nice badger hole. I mean, quote unquote, nice badger hole. (laughs) They literally live in a badgers in in the hole too. I don't or is remember. it an abandoned badger hole? I'm pretty hole. sure it's abandoned, but there are scrapes and brushes with wild animals in the following books. And when Badgers you are scary, it, man. We've talked about this before, but they will mess you up. When you think about it. Grace has just gotten a ruler out. <laughs> the height of the borrowers, this is four inches. They're so small. They're really, really small. No wonder cats are... The size of a mouse... Yeah, yeah. So cats are like dinosaur size to them. Than mice because they won't have the same like little chubby body. I Um, love mice. They're so cute. (laughs) I also like that there isn't like any cruelty toward mice in these books. So they do mention they've eaten mouse before, but it sounds like those were during lean times. Yeah, Um, and I mean we eat animals that are much more complex than mice. And okay, I guess I'm like almost done with my old new impressions. But the last thing I want to say is that I could appreciate the specificity of the writing even more as an adult Mm. because I could really stop and picture every single object that Mary Norton was describing. Yeah. Like when you first go into Arietti's and Pod and Homily's living room and she's just talking through like 
every single object that makes up the repurposed furniture that's filling their living space. Mm. Um, like uh, something I really liked was the cog serving as their fireplace and cooking area because that makes so much sense. Yeah. And then the old glass lamp piece that served as the chimney going up above it. It's very it's detailed amazing. and very carefully put together, this and world. It is so satisfying. Yeah. So mm-hmm. satisfying. Yeah. And that's one reason the illustrations are so wonderful is because yes. they follow the writing to a T. Like we're not dealing with illustrations where the artist was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go for like my, liberties. my vibe. Taking liberties. <laughs> um, I, I'm like kind of pedantic about that. I want them to do exactly what the book says. When illustrators like do their own thing. And it's mm-hmm. so common in kids' books. And it's like, you have to work together. Like you can't be independent artists in this endeavor. Yep. And I think uh, Beth and Joe Krush did an amazing, amazing job with these illustrations. I love any like old Dab school line art type stuff. And this has like a good busy feel to it because there's so many objects that are making up every single little piece of each picture, but it all works. And the choice to put the three borrowers in these like fussy Victorian outfits is also really interesting and like adds to the tragic piece of homily's attempts to yeah. be putting them in this class. Because she must have made those clothes. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So good. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about it for a really long time. But I guess, yeah, what it comes down to is this this is actually a very sad book. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. And the the ending is also not guaranteed. Um, I believe that the framing device for the subsequent books is the same, but now it's Kate investigating okay and telling her own stories but it's also all presented as like a version of make-believe you know it's a story within a story it's a fantasy within what i feel is just you know like straight up fiction interesting or you can see it as they really did see the borrowers but there's also the great detail at the end when the woman i'm sorry i can't remember her name talking to kate telling the story mrs may yeah um Tells her, you know, I thought I found Arietti's diary, but she and my brother write their E's exactly the same way. So yeah, it's just her so saying like, that. Was like, it just the lonely he created, little boy? Exactly. He created his yeah. own game that summer while he was living in that house, sick, alone with like a mean housekeeper. And But the housekeeper saw them. Woman. And she yes, definitely but that's dis- all within the boy's story of what happened. Okay. You know? Yeah. I think they're real. It could all be created by him, but I would like to believe that they're real also. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Um, this book won the 1952 Carnegie Medal from the Library Association, which is basically the English version of the Newbery Honor. Carnegie Medal. (laughs) Um, We had a Carnegie Hall in my college, as all colleges in America do. And there was a 70th anniversary of the medal in 2007, and this was actually named one of the top 10 winning works from all those years. That makes sense. It is incredibly influential. I think it's really foundational. I also, let's talk a little bit now about the other works it's inspired because I think that in every era, and I, I, know, I guess this book isn't that old. I mean, it's 70 years old. Yeah. Um, but I think it works for every generation of young and older readers. The, the little people hiding in the walls, exactly as you've already started to explore, there's a ton of 
like it's very to me it is and I'm sure to actual scholars it is the descendant of fairy stories mm-hmm. they're they're the little people and they talk about fairies in this book yeah yeah who are hiding in the walls and like you know like little puckish sprites that are like stealing your extra potato and yeah. you know like what are they called the little blue men from the, uh, uh the Nack McFeagles. The Nack McFeagles in Terry Pratchett lore. It's it's the exact same kind of thing. Like these, although they are much more scurrilous, <laughs> afraid of lawyers. <laughs> um, but it's it's that same uh, theme, and it's one that I truly love. It's great. It is so funny when. Arietti is confidently explaining to the boy why what they do isn't stealing. Yeah. And then her example of what stealing is, is literally just if a borrower steals from another borrower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's from a human, it's just borrowing. But that brings me to Madeline's uh, Lock Corner here. My, I'll keep this real brief. <laughs> I'll attempt to. She pulls out her phone. Um, so. I looked up larceny caveat that this is the common law definition of larceny. So don't at me if like you're looking at a a different kind of uh, theft law definition, but this is larceny common law in America. Um, The elements are the trespassery taking. So trespassery taking um, and carrying away asportation or removal in parentheses of the tangible personal property of another with the intent to deprive him or her of its possession permanently. So that by that definition, they are not stealing. They are not committing larceny. No, for multiple reasons, which I'll let you unpack yourself, dear listener (laughs) to spare you my droning. No, I really appreciate that. Um, But yeah, by this definition, uh, it is not larceny common law larceny cool. in the United States. We just vindicated <laughs> the borrowers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so See, Nick McFeagles, I could have helped you too. <laughs> some of the other works, adaptations of this book, um, the one that was, you may have been a little too young for, um, but there was a 1997 film, a live action film adaptation of this that was made. I saw that when I was Googling around. Yeah, it starred John Goodman and then a bunch of British actors. Um, Who did he? Was he the like he old was, caretaker guy with the cat? So they changed it. I think he's okay. like the, yeah, the household keeper or like maybe he's the owner of the house i think he may actually buy the house and move in and then they like torment him um but sorry John <laughs> but it was it was a good movie and it was okay. really well done like the effects were really cool and this was a time back when like everything was still practical effects for the most part tom felton yes and baby tom <laughs> felton plays arietti's little brother they give her siblings oh my god he's so cute he plays pea green clock i know <laughs> he's so cute oh yeah oh my goodness um, and then her parents are played by uh, Celia Imri plays Homily. Yeah, Celia Imri, she's also really good. And, and Jim Broadbent plays Pod Clock. And Jim Broadbent is in the Harry Potter films as um, Slughorn. Oh, Slughorn. He plays Slughorn. I thought you were yeah. talking about Filch, no. who is definitively not played by this man. No. 
Um, and that movie was very exciting for me when it came out, but also like so stressful and also kind of scary. Like that was the era of practical effects that just like freaked me out. And I've definitely seen this movie. They get like chased by a cat and stuff. Yeah, yeah. we watched it. We rented it. Definitely. Okay. We Her hair friends. looks very familiar. Mm-hmm. That little like stick mm-hmm. uh, pigtail mm-hmm. bun thing. Yeah, all the borrowers have like goofy outfits. I did not. I would not have recognized Tom Felton if I didn't know. Like he doesn't look like himself. And it wasn't that long before he played Draco in the first Harry Potter movie. Yeah, four years. Yeah. Okay. Inter- oh, interesting. So weird. Maybe they, they probably filmed it a little earlier too, though. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like boy child actors change so rapidly. That's very true. Just look at Neville. Then the other adaptation we wanted to mention was the Studio Ghibli film, The Secret Life of Arietti. World. You the keep secret saying world life. Arietti. <laughs> secret world of I'm Arietti. sorry. It's a terrible title. It's a really bad I title. I can't even remember it. And, and we don't understand why that title was I used. I wonder if it's because for the American, because it had different titles for different releases. It was just called Arietti in Japan. That's and also then, not a good title. I'm wondering if it's because there was that other borrowers movie that had already been released in the United States. And like they didn't have the licensing right, but it's obviously a borrowers movie. And I think it says like based on the book, the borrowers. Um, I I really want to rewatch it. Yeah. I saw it in theaters once, but I was, it was in college and I was with a group of really obnoxious people. Um, I don't know why I ended up seeing it with them because they weren't my usual group of friends and they were like cat calling it in the theater And I was, like, humiliated to be there with them. Anyways, so I'd like to watch it again without that toxicity. I get that. Yeah, it's it's a really gorgeous movie. um, And I think that it, it kind of... Does it does its own thing. Like, I don't think that any Miyazaki adaptation that I've seen, which I guess is just Howl's Moving Castle and then The Secret World of Arietti, but they go in their own directions with the story, but then it still feels totally... Right. It's our favorite time. It's time for pretend food. Pretend food. This book has some excellent pretend food. Excellent. I took notes. The fun clash that we get from the start is that the pretend food is like normal human food, but it's being repurposed in adorable, tiny ways. Yeah, for for tiny people. Small people. Um, and that leads to like some really, just really cute stuff happening. Yes. First of all, I love how the food that's available in different parts of the house basically created the societies that existed and like the mm-hmm. different families. In yeah. Different or like rooms. the drunks that had the ability to steal booze. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot revolves around the fine old pale Madeira, which yes. is mentioned again and again throughout the book. That is the fortified wine that the elderly woman, her or she, as they call her, um, drinks. And it's because of that wine and her like three plus glasses of it every night that Pod like just goes and hangs out with her. Yeah. And she thinks that she's just wasted. Yeah. <laughs> and that's his like. 
is that's his club, his exactly. social club. Like it's yeah. where he goes to hang out. That's it's his, his pub. It's his. Zone. Yeah. It doesn't strike me as fair that like that he gets to have he that, gets to do and that, no and no one else does. Can't talk to a child. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I get the relative like lack of concern with her one day saying like we got to get these little people out or yeah leading to their discovery the way that the boy does and like that we know he will from the start because he just like messily peels up the floorboards at night yeah with a <laughs> screwdriver um but the final pill madeira is also stolen by mrs driver frequently and she and the gardener mr like clam birch or something he has a really funny name clam <laughs> birch i think it's like crunched Crampfurl. <laughs> I was close. Weirder than anything we were saying. <laughs> Mr. Crampfurl and Mrs. Driver, um, they uh, dr- sip on the final pale Madeira at night it's while they just, just like talk smack about everyone. <laughs> anyway, fin- <laughs> final pale Madeira um, is, plays an important role in getting people drunk and letting them think that they're seeing little, little people in the floorboards. Um, if I were a little tiny person living in someone else's house in the walls and I could be trashed all the time... Yeah, I would be. <laughs> There's also, there were a few British things that I didn't know about that I looked up. Like they, when they're talking about the um, borrowers that lived in the drawing room. Mm. So they had, I think she said that they were like always peaky because they only could eat um, breakfast food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or no, I'm thinking of a different room. I think that I was a different family. So there's actually. one family that can only eat breakfast food. There's another one that only gets afternoon tea. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, so that that's pretty lean stuff. Well, and, and they like can only sweets. get it if someone leaves it there long exactly. enough for them to steal it. Yeah. So by by or borrow it. Sorry. By thank you, Madeline. By definition, it's afternoon tea. People just sit, have it, and then leave. So it's going to be tough for them to sneak in. Yeah. Um, they mentioned that they have syllabub every once in a while at yeah, the afternoon is tea. Um, it is an English sweet frothy drink, which yes. was popular from the 16th to 19th centuries. If you're saying, uh, now, just wait. Is the it like drink cheese was tea? made of milk or cream curdled by the addition of wine, cider, or other acid, and then often sweetened and flavored. It's weird. I'm having a hard time because I just want to start cussing. <laughs> it's typically made of whipped cream, wine or sherry, sugar, and lemon juice. Mm. Um, so, okay. If any of you have had syllabub and it's good, it let sounds, us It know. sounds like pond scum. So, um, <laughs> And when I said there were English things I had to look up, I didn't mean these are contemporary. I love the potato that... Arietti is called to get a sliver of and like learning about how they just have whole potatoes that they somehow got down into their house. I'm not really sure because a potato is the size of pod. Well, there's they you can they roll, roll them, them right? They yeah. roll them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's supposed to cut a sliver off, but instead she rolls the whole thing in the kitchen. And Homily is like, "It's all dusty. What are we gonna do with it now?" Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't be pleased if I asked someone for food and then they like rolled it <laughs> Roll on the, the ground like the giant thing. Um, okay, they also have a tea that is so scrumptious, and this is the tea that Arietti and Padna Homily eat after Arietti's first borrowing mission. Mm. So it's a very exciting time, and Homily's so excited to have her back and hear about how it went. Mm. I really appreciate that Homily encourages that yeah. Pod let Arietti go borrowing for her other faults. She recognizes that they're starving. You gotta let the kid out. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'm gonna read an excerpt from this tea. 
She looked at the homemade dip set in upturned drawing pins which Homley had placed as candle holders among the tea things. The old teapot, a hollow oak apple with its quill spout and wired-on handle. Burnished it was now and hard with age. There were two roast-sliced chestnuts, which they would eat like toast with butter, and a cold boiled chestnut, which Pod would cut like bread. There was a plate of hot dried currants, well plumped before the fire. There were cinnamon breadcrumbs, crispy golden and lightly dredged with sugar. Mm. And in front of each place, oh, delight of delights, a single potted shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like for them... A feast. Huge. One sh- one shrimp for them. I mean, if they're four inches tall, like a, a good sized shrimp can be bigger than that. Yeah, but there are it's like a prawn. shrimps too. Oh, you mean like a baby shrimp? Oh, yeah, it's probably a little shrimp. <laughs> okay. How big do you think the shrimp is? We're Let from the know. we're from the Midwest, so we would have um, shrimp salad, which was mayonnaise, m- mayonnaise, mayonnaise, and celery and shrimp um, and Canned. nuts. Canned like like baby little shrimp. tiny shrimp and oh my god I loved it oh it was so good I love mayonnaise weren't there like grapes grapes sometimes? I was gonna say grapes well but then we started to become vegetarian so I think we used grapes instead of shrimp. grapes and walnuts yeah instead. yeah which is also a great variation we should ask mom are you, if you're listening can you make that <laughs> we can make it ourselves too. no it's not the same mom needs to make anyway it. yeah that did remind me of shrimp salad yeah <laughs> You loved shrimp salad. And elbow macaroni, that was the pasta. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then I also really enjoyed when um, this is at the end of the book and Kate is concerned, like, what happened to them? What are they going to eat now? Are they going to be okay? And the woman who's telling her the story says badger sets are almost like villages full of passages and chambers and storehouses they could gather hazelnuts and beech nuts and chestnuts that's true they could gather corn which they could store and grind into flour just as humans do it was all there for them they didn't even have to plant it they had honey they could make elderflower tea and lime tea they had hips and haws and blackberries and sloes and wild strawberries the boys could fish in the stream and a minnow to them would be as big as a mackerel is to you They had bird's eggs, any amount of them, for custards and cakes and omelets. And they had greens and salads, of course. Think of a salad made of those tender shoots of young hawthorn, bread and cheese, we used to call it, with sorrel and dandelion and a sprinkling of thyme and wild garlic. It wasn't for nothing that the clocks had lived under the kitchen. That sounds great. I feel great about that. And also that really evokes red wall food to me. Um, We have an episode on red wall, so you can check that out if you're interested. But if you want to hear more about uh, mouse food. Yeah. Plant-based small foods um, are largely plant-based. With with fish. With fish. They ate fish there too. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that all sounds delicious. And I'm going to go make a foraged salad now, um, which will probably kill me because I live in the middle of a city. (laughs) Please don't forage. And we're in a pandemic. So not a great time to be foraging. Um, Yeah, but excellent pretend food. I had a really good time with it. I got very hungry while reading this book. I had like five snacks while I was reading it yesterday. I just had like cheese and bread. It made me want to have that kind of food. Yep. Uh, Josiah came through and I was eating a little platter I had made for myself (laughs) that was a sliced apple, some mixed nuts and some slices of cheese. And he was like, oh, wow, (laughs) it's a very fancy afternoon snack. And I truly felt like I was on an Alaska Airlines flight and I got the (laughs) the fruit and cheese plate. I always get the kids box. The fruit and cheese plate's really good. Yeah, it's for adults. (laughs) (laughs) Which I am not. (laughs) So, Badass Lady Meter? Yeah. 
I guess I'll I'll kind of give my my badass lady to um the old lady who owns the house and just like stays in bed all the time and gets drunk every night and talks to little people that come out of the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's so dark when they're like concerned that she's feeling good because there's like new energy in the house. When yeah, hanging out with them and she's like up on her canes and they're like, we don't want her up on her canes. Yeah, keep her in bed so we can keep doing exactly what we want. Yeah, so. I rate her um, unknowingly providing a home for many. Yeah, she does good. Yeah, I mean, without knowing it, not on purpose. And she's very chill about talking to a four-inch tall man every night. Yeah, so, right. Uh, so that makes me think that she's probably really cool. I appreciate that energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we've so we've already talked a lot about Arietti, and she is a great character. I love that she gets to be she kind of gets to occupy the role that like young boy characters often do because yeah, she's exploring. Yeah. She's really into exploring and she actually wants to like go out and adventure and emigrate as they call it, move away from the house and move out into a field. And she gets that like, that is actually going to ultimately be the healthier thing yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. And then she gets to like actually go outside, which is something that everyone should be allowed to do. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just really in the quarantine. I'm just like know, really relating right? to yeah. them being stuck under the floorboards. Um, but I actually think I'm going to give my baddest lady rating to homily, um, because I feel for her. She, she's trying, she's not educated. She never really had a chance to like learn about a world outside of the house. And I think that's why she clings so tightly to the old ways and is very entrenched in this class understanding that she really needs to break free from. And she is about to go through, like she's about to get into a very uncomfortable place for her, but ultimately grow from it by leaving the house. And, you know, through it all, like she, she has so much anxiety and I really relate to that. Yeah. And she also tries so hard to provide for her family. And I respect that about her. So uh, my rating for homily is going to be a day in the drawing room with the wine in the mirror so that she can look at herself all she likes. <laughs> so I think that's it for The Borrowers by Mary Norton. This was such a lovely reread. Also gave us a lot to think about, as you can tell. So definitely recommend it if you're yeah. looking for some new reading material right now or old reading material that you're going to revisit. Yeah. Um, thank you again to all of the listeners who requested The yeah. Borrowers. Yeah, we really enjoyable. appreciate it. If you'd like to make a request or answer any of the inane questions we threw out during this, <laughs> <laughs> you can get in touch on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at dragonbabiespodcast twitter at dragon babies pod and we'd love to chat with you yeah. so hit us up we will now announce our next book dun, 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 dun. it is the forgotten beasts of eld by patricia mckillop cool and i am very excited yeah okay i'm grace and i'm madeline until next time goodbye <laughs>